The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we're back for another episode. And we're going to get back to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 that we have not been in since, I think, the summer. It's been a little bit of a break. Wow. And uh, we have a less controversial episode. Hopefully all your complaints were sent directly to Jason. Um, And uh, we are back to uh, a historic confession and talking through uh, Chapter Mm. 6 today. But before we get into that, as always, we have a little question for you. So I have a question. It, I, I just thought of on the way here. I was, I was driving to church. Of what? What could I ask Jason? Oh, great! What could I ask him? And this question was like, oh, this is perfect. What can I ask him? <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> and this is what I want to know, and all our listeners want to know. Okay. What are your thoughts on skincare? Wow. <laughs> Okay, I know exactly why Roger is asking this yes, question. Yes, why am I asking this and question? And it is not because of my acne problem from childhood <laughs> um, or my terrible teenage years uh, in that regard. It is because our daughters uh, are about the same age yeah, and uh, they're friends. And it seems to me that one of the major themes of their lives right now is skincare. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, f- directly from the pit of hell. <laughs> I'm glad and, they're not listening or will ever listen. <laughs> and I wish that they would stop. I, I, I said to my daughter, I said, do you, you understand that you have like perfect skin, perfect right now. skin like this, this baby's skin and you're putting these chemicals on it. I think it's ruining. And, and my wife had to reprimand me, which then... Uh, I said, no, you're not going to convince me of this. I just, I don't understand it. Roger, tell me that either I'm wrong or that you fully agree. I a hearty amen to that. Oh, man. <laughs> I just find it so funny that we're, we're, we're recording a podcasting in front of each other and our daughters are on FaceTime doing their faces. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the, the good thing is that they crochet too. Oh, yeah, I'll accept that. That's, okay, actually... so that, that's good. Good. Um, but this skincare thing, and then they know these products. <laughs> it is so out of control. What's wrong? I have not had this many angry moments at Target or anxiety going to Target <laughs> oh. <laughs> than with my daughter. And we were, just, I mean, I think every store we're at, it's there. Oh, yeah. So I. I it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because we were at Ralph's the other day. Mm hmm. We were doing grocery <laughs> shopping, and there was a cart there that had some skincare product that they had seen on some YouTube yeah. channel. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not going to buy skincare from Ralph's. It's not happening. Oh, man, you got me a little excited yeah, and animated just yeah, there. Yeah, it's good. We can do a whole episode on this. Good. And it's perfect because of what we're actually going to talk about. It fits the theme, Roger. Why do we need skincare? Chapter six of the confession is going to help us understand. It, it will Re- read the title: "The Fall of Mankind." <laughs> That's right, Anne. And sin. 
uh-huh. and it's punishment. That's right. Yeah, we're facing the punishment of Adam's sin on this one. That's right. <laughs> and I want to offer a sin and I mean a punishment to the sins of skincare. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be broke and punished. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Well, let's get into our topic. Um, I'm I'm glad we're at this chapter. It's interesting that we just finished Providence, and in the Providence of God, we're in chapter six, talking about the fall of mankind, sin, and punishment. Because you're going through a series on Genesis, and you're at the point of thinking through this, thinking deeply, and with deep theologians who bring out so many more insights and observations in the text, which are helpful and fruitful for us who get to hear that um and just coming now to this chapter and hearing um uh, your insights in it as we talk through um the confession so you're 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 setting me up for failure (laughs) you're the doctor so 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 you can (laughs) thanks for that um yeah no i mean it's a great great topic and a wonderful chapter in the confession and such an important theme to think about. So I hope that we could bring out some insight, um, as we're looking through it, but yeah, I mean, reading through the early parts of Genesis really, really helped lay the foundation here for the rest of the, the belief system really. So let me go ahead and read, um, this first, uh, paragraph, um, says it's a long one. So we'll break it down and go back to it. It says the confession says God created humanity upright and perfect. He gave them a righteous law that would have led to life if they had kept it, but threatened death if they broke it. Yet they did not remain for long in this position of honor. Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Adam acted without any outside compulsion and deliberately transgressed the law of their creation and the command given to them by eating the forbidden fruit. God was pleased in keeping with his wise and holy counsel to permit this act because he had purpose to direct it for his own glory. Amen. Yeah, I would say it's funny as we were reading this, I was um, going through this little theology book with my son and we were at the fall. Oh, nice. And and the question comes up, well, if, if God knew Adam and Eve were going to fall yeah. and, and, you know, why did it happen? And answering this question, then I like how the confession just brings a lot of precise language mm-hmm. to what had occurred Um there, I don't think my answer was really good to my son, but the confession. Just hand him the confession. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, or or <clears throat> one of the catechisms, you know. So, so going back to this one and and thinking through just the creation of mankind, God created humanity upright and perfect. Amen. Um, and then He gave them this righteous law that would have led to life if they had kept it, but threatened death if they broke it. What is it bringing out there in Scripture? Um, as we think about theology. Yeah. Well, it, it seems here that the the uh, authors of confession are pointing us to the, the covenant of works, mm-hmm. um, even though they're not particularly using that language here. I know they use it elsewhere, I'm quite certain. But you, you get this sense where, hey, look, God has created, but he's also in creating, he's also covenanted with his people, mm-hmm. with Adam and Eve, and specifically Adam as the covenant head. And he's given a covenant stipulation, and the stipulation is there is this tree, this one tree in all of the rest of this (laughs) lush garden, um, and that one tree you are not to eat from. If you obey, you will live. If you disobey, you will die. 
Hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. works, the principle of works, the covenant of works is based on that. It's built on that principle. Do this and live. Don't yeah. do it. Disobey and die. It's the law, right? Yeah. We often think about they didn't obey mm-hmm. and brought about death, physical and spiritual. Yeah. But what about the flip side of it? If they had obeyed. If they had obeyed. Yeah. What would this life bring them? Yeah. Look, I, I was just reading through some of this stuff that I thought was so fascinating. And I'm not going to be able to articulate it all that well, but I'll do my best. <laughs> but think about the fact that the tree of life is there too mm-hmm. in the garden. And one author was talking about it as a sacra- it's sacramental presence there because Jesus is the tree of life, right? Oh, if you look at yeah. the book of okay. Revelation and, and other places. So you get this sense in which, and it said that the, the tree was calling to them, come and eat, hmm. right? And you will live, right? What's it promising though? Clearly it's not just earthly life mm-hmm. because they have that already. It, True. Right? So is it just that this is the length of their life being prolonged? Is it just, it's just eternal yeah. life or is there something qualitatively different? Well, I think if you look at first Corinthians 15 and how Paul describes what the resurrection life is like, mm. it seems to me that that's really what would have happened to Adam and Eve mm. had they obeyed and eaten from the tree of life, they would have had this qualitatively different existence. Um, I think the way Meredith Klein would put it is they would they would enter into God's Sabbath, hmm. right? There's that anticipation of looking forward to entering God's rest and that perfect Sabbath. Again, after this probationary period where they do their job of filling the earth, multiplying and filling the earth, and then they would, you know, if they were had been obedient, they'd enter into this whole new existence that uh, would be super glorious, you know, and that's, you know, the fullness of life, so to speak. I think you brought up that in one of your sermons about that Sabbath rest, about that rest in the future. And it's so interesting. It starts in the garden, you know, it starts at the fall and then the whole theme of scripture leading up to that, you know, it starts before the fall, right? In creation, you have this anticipation of God's Sabbath. Yeah. And that's why it, it seems like there's still that promise that's out there because Christ becomes our Sabbath mm-hmm. so that we can enter that Sabbath yet again, even though we couldn't because of our sin, you know, uh, in the fall in, in uh, Genesis 3. But yeah, there, there's so much there. <laughs> if only I could uh, understand everything that yeah. Meredith Klein <laughs> says. <laughs> we, I, I could help explain more of it, but... Um, yeah, there's there's something here. He says, um, you know, uh, threaten death if they broke it, um, yet they did not remain long in this position yeah. of honor. There's a question of how long I know. was it? I, we don't really know. Yeah. Uh, was it that day, the next day? Like what, what was going on there? And we don't really know, uh, but it sure seems to have been um, a quick fall. And some of the reasons it's a quick fall, I mean, they didn't have children yet. Because yeah. right? you imagine the parents sinned, but the children didn't, you know, then you'd have... That's not possible. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's definitely not possible. <laughs> not in this fallen world, at least. Um, so, yeah. So, you've got this covenant of works that they do this and live, don't do this and die. And then we have a pretty quick, they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they weren't able to to, to obey. They, they disobeyed. They ate 
the fruit. And that's what the next part goes to, to talk about. Yeah, Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Kind of in a reverse order of, of going through Eve, because we know in Scripture that it's the responsible party is Adam. Yeah, he, you know, it's through Adam's line that we uh, um, are identified yeah. with sinners. That's what Romans teaches us. Yep. Um, and seduces Eve and then seduced Adam. Yeah. Adam's the covenant head. Mm-hmm. He's the responsible, accountable party that God has entrusted with what we would say is the priestly work of defending and protecting and guarding mm. the, the garden temple. The Garden of Eden, it's interesting. It's a garden created there, even though God had this perfect world that he mm-hmm. created, he also planted this garden that if we see the language of Scripture, it sounds like the garden was meant to grow and grow and grow and, and mm-hmm. occupy the whole earth, that the whole world would then become this temple of God. Okay, And Adam's the priest. He has this mm-hmm. priestly task of keeping it pure and guarding it. And what happens is you've got an enemy who's attacking that. And that enemy being the serpent, Satan through the serpent, he goes through Eve. Now, it's interesting, the language of uh, then then Eve seduces Adam. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, well, actually, it says Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve. Yeah, who then, that's right, who then seduced Adam. I, I wonder if... She, we could even say she seduced him because she just turns and gives it to him. It seems, you know, <laughs> and he took it. And he know? just took an eight. Yeah, hungry. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. So you know, using her feminine wiles, I suppose he, yeah. she seduced him. But whatever the case, there she's she's just offering it to him, and he he fails at his priestly task. Yeah. He should have stopped the serpent from giving to Eve, and instead he takes from Eve and he eats himself. That's interesting. And then I think if it just ended here, it would leave open all the questions. You know, did they really have this choice? Was this all set up? Is Adam really responsible for the fall? Yeah. And then you get the confession clearly stating. Yep. He, Adam acted without any outside compulsion mm-hmm. and deliberately transgressed the law. Right. Of their creation and the command given to them by eating the forbidden fruit, um, looking at Genesis three twelve um, as a reference yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, look, Adam. I, I like the fact that they use the language of deliberate in yeah. here. They deliberately transgressed because Adam is making a decision to instead of trust God mm-hmm. and obey Him, that. He, in fact, he's trusting the serpent. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? He's trusting the serpent's accusation against God. And he is deciding that he is now, instead of the word of God being authority over him, he becomes the authority over the mm. word of God to determine whether he thinks it's good or not. And he chooses to, in a sense, make his own truth, which is going to be completely destructive now, right? He chooses to disobey, evaluating God's, assessing God's truth and finding it wanting. We never do that. No, never. <laughs> but I mean, you might. But <laughs> I mean, you're, you're perfect. So I, yeah. I, I get it. But, but it's so interesting if you think about how as we sin, 
we act like Satan. Absolutely. Right? We take on his image, so to speak. Yeah. Right? Serping. Instead of instead of being people of the truth, we become people of lies. Instead of he's being the father people, of lies. He's the father right? of lies. Instead of taking responsibility, we pass the buck. Right? There are yeah. all these consequences of sin. And sin has not changed. Like yeah. that's that's what it is. Like today, every time I decide to go again to, to, to sin against God. It is rebellion against him. It's a decision that I'm the authority instead of God being the authority, right? Yeah. It's 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 always the same thing. Trusting myself instead of trusting God. Yeah. And the world today is affirming that and wants you to become your own, right? When we're trying to identify however you want to do, it's basically saying you have the authority to define yeah. your own life and your own reality and usurping right. any kind of authority over your life. So it's it's a continued rebellion in a different way, yeah. just in a different application of it. Um, Think about this. When it says that, they, they, once they eat, right, the, the Lord says to himself, he says, behold, the man has, you know, uh, become like one of us, knowing yeah. good and evil, right? Hmm. Well, what does that mean? He's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Did Adam and Eve not have any moral sense hmm. prior to that? Of course they did. How else could they know that they should or shouldn't eat the fruit? Yeah. So that's not what it's talking about. Is it an experiential knowledge? Now they've experienced evil. Well, then God wouldn't say he's become like one of us. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. So what is that? Um, I, uh, I was listening to a guy, a theologian named Thaddeus. Will uh, Wait a minute. Williams, that Thad Williams. I think that's his name. Thad Williams. Uh, and he was talking about a view from Abraham Kuyper that says that this knowing good and evil actually means in this sense, choosing or determining interesting what is good and evil i think hmm. that's exactly right that's what means they're becoming they're going to be like god they're going to instead of li- just discerning god's will they're going to decide what is good and evil or so yeah. they think that's what we do yeah and 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 we all do it instinctively that's right right and scripture can inform that and you have cultures that will say well this is built on the foundation of scripture but if you don't have people will decide what is good or evil yeah. in every culture that exists. And doesn't mean, you know, some will call evil good and good evil and, and you have all that, but y- you're going to have that distinction. Yeah. And, and one of the things that, you know, Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, yeah. mm-hmm. Kant would read this passage apparently. And he said um, that them wanting to have their, to, to eat of that and having now that ability to, mm decide and discern and, and yeah, decide and choose what is good and evil is actually them maturing and growing up. And this is human freedom. It's a good thing. Oh, interesting. He didn't see it as a fall. Now, obviously he wasn't a Christian yeah, and yeah. you know, but, but he doesn't see that as a fall at all. He sees that as a good thing that we are free. Now it's like a teenager becoming freed from his yeah. parents. Now he's at go- growing into adulthood. Whereas we see that not as freedom, but slavery to ourselves and to our own sin and sinfulness. And I, and I wonder what the, the consequences with all of this freedom and this continued path we're going, are we any happier than we've ever been? Are we ever fulfilled? Are we satisfied like no other? Because now we've given off all the restraints and we are now in control or we think we're in control yeah. of all things. What has that produced? And I look at the same time, 
<laughs> how much the medical field is trying to help, you know, medicate the issues we're seeing now that we haven't seen the consequence that was expected. Yeah. We've seen the exact opposite, more, more problems we have, more mental health challenges. Why so much mental health if we finally have the freedom we've been seeking? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, it just fascinating to observe the world around us and the mindset that started in the garden that's being expressed even greater today than ever. And doesn't it, it's so exciting, to be honest, when you're reading scripture and you're reading these confessions and the, the explanatory power of God's word yeah. for what we see today is glorious. Psychology tries to say that we're naturally good or a lot of, I shouldn't say all sexual, I don't know all psychology, but yeah. a lot of folks seem to say that we're born good. We're naturally good. And it's just learned behavior and all that. the way scripture defines it and shows us, no, there's this depravity that is pervasive within all humanity. Yeah. And that depravity, if you look at it, what is it? It is our rebellion against God and authority. And that's just seen all the time in life. Uh, and it, and we see it all around us. And we're seeing it more and more, it seems, where we're even rejecting the authority of our own body, like yeah. what we are, you know, and trying to make our own truth, which is exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. Yeah. Um, but until the, the, the light comes into the darkness, we continue to live that. But you yep. think the contrast now of the light shining makes the gospel even more glorious as you put it all into context yeah. of, of who we truly are. And how far we've fallen away, but how gracious that God is to bring back that even though the fall occurred, that's not the end of the story. Yeah. And, and I like uh, this last statement here uh, because this helps yep. it, think through it. God was pleased in keeping with his wise and holy counsel to permit this act because he had purposed it to direct it for his own glory. Yeah. That's a full statement. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a beautiful statement. Um, I think some would not be satisfied with it mm -hmm. because he doesn't, they, the, the, the authors aren't explaining exactly why God permitted it except to say, which I think is right and good biblically that it's not somehow against his wisdom. Yeah. It's not against his counsel. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not a, oops, I didn't know that was yeah. happening. It's permitted and it's for his own glory purpose in his own glory. purpose. Yeah. yeah. So, um, again, I don't know what we can say. We can't elaborate on that. I feel like, I think that we've got to leave that as that is. And I think it's a good statement, but can we elaborate it in this, in this sense, this is what makes God, God Amen. and, and who we are. And we are not. What was that statement you yeah. had from those sermons? God is God and we are not. And we are not. That's right. That, that's the distinction between being human, created in the image of God, and God. If we could fathom and truly understand that holy and wise counsel, we would be God. Yeah. And so that distinction actually is good. That lack of knowledge is good. That actually reminds us of the greatness of who God is and Excellent the reality point. of who we are as his creatures. Yeah. Um, and so there's something about that gap that that's, is good for our souls. That's such a good point, Roger, because isn't that the exact problem that Adam and Eve had, right? Yeah. That they didn't understand that distinction. 
you know, I kind of feel like that with my teenagers. <laughs> I, I like to say, or a teenager, I, I specifically, I like to say, like, you don't know the difference between parents and children. Like, you don't yeah. see that distinction. It, we don't often see the distinction between creator and creature. Yeah. And we, we need that. Yeah. Shall we go to paragraph yeah, two? I think we can go to paragraph two. We have enough time uh, to look at this. It's a shorter statement, so let me read. By this sin, our first parents fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. We fell in them, and through this, death came upon all. All became dead in sin and completely defiled in all the capabilities and parts of soul and body. This is the bad news, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's really bad news. It's really awful. Because in our first parents, and particularly in Adam, our covenant head, from that point on, we've all fallen. Yeah. And fallen hard, fallen into death, uh, defiled. There is not one part of our existence that's not been impacted by the fall. Yeah. What was the statement in the seminary? We're not as evil as we could be. Yeah. But. But the the seeds are there for all type yeah. of evil in our hearts. I think R.C. Sproul used to talk about radical depravity. Okay. And yeah, what he meant by that is like think of a radish, like at the root. <laughs> it's we're, at the root we're depraved. And so it may not, because of God's common grace, we might not be as bad as we could be. Yeah. But every part of us has been impacted by the fall. And it's not like some, some people had a thought in, in history. They thought that, oh, our reason is still there. It's just our affections that are messed up. Um, and that's, we know that's not true. Our, our, we've got darkened thinking, Paul says. We've got, you know, so our minds are impacted. Our hearts are impacted. Our desires are impacted. They're all topsy-turvy, inside out. Um, Luther, I think it was the one who said our hearts are turned inward, mm. uh, whereas they were intended to be outward, directed toward God, toward our fellow men, and then also toward creation. But now it's all been turned inward. There's a lot of ways to describe this, but we're we're messed up uh, because of the fall. What do you think of this in, in this statement, this term? So, so it's common we think they they broke their communion with God, mm-hmm. their fellowship with God was broken. They were kicked out of the garden, mm-hmm. but they add in here that they fell from their original righteousness, and that's an important concept, yeah. right? As yeah. we think about. Yep. Uh, salvation history about Christ's work and what he's doing to bring us yeah. uh, salvation and make us right with God. But how is this original righteousness? What is that? As we think about Christ's righteousness accounted to man because sure. our original righteousness is gone, uh, gone. Yeah. But just that, that phrase just strikes me. Yeah. So I think the original righteousness, the concept there is, uh, this relative righteousness that Adam and Eve had, they mm. were made according to the new Testament, uh, upright. Well, I mean, they were in the old Testament, they were made that way too, but the language of upright Paul uses, yeah. they had this righteousness. They were not made neutral. They were not mm. made, certainly not made bad. They actually were made with a certain affective kind of connection with God. They were righteous. They, they desired, it seems, that which is good. Mm-hmm. This is why, if you want to know one of the mis- great mysteries of Scripture, it's the fall. Why did Adam, made with right, yeah. at least a relative righteousness, 
fall at all. Uh, it, it, that's one of the most important mysteries, I think. And I don't know what the answer is, except to say that that's how temptation works and seduced him. But And I guess if you think Christ's righteousness, nothing matches that. Right? No. Even in the original righteousness that he had, it still isn't the righteousness that comes through Christ. Well, and, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons God permits it. We don't know the answer yeah. to that. But one of the things is, could man have that level of righteousness um, and and not gloat and be proud, which would then be a destruction of that righteousness? I, you know, I don't know. All I know is that for Adam... That original righteousness was very temporary. For Christ, yeah. it's perfect and eternal. Like he, there was, it, it was not a temporary righteousness. It's a, it's an infinite, eternal righteousness. He never failed in any possible way, word, thought, deed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in Christ, we received that righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's a, it's a great connection as, as we think about a fall and, and well, and with that communion with God. Yeah. And doesn't that, isn't that what salvation is renewing in, in, an, in another aspect is that we now have peace with God. That's Romans five, one, we're adopted children of God. Now we're brought into the family of God. Not only is their righteousness restored and not, you know, taken to even a better state, but now the communion is even, even restored. Yeah. We now have communion with God in a way that we didn't before we were saved. And so. And imagine that, imagine if we didn't have the imputed perfect righteousness of Christ, we couldn't have communion with yeah. God. I, I think people need to understand that if we're depending on our righteousness, even a relative righteousness, even a righteousness that comes because we're redeemed and now we're able to do right things that honor God, Adam had one sin yeah. and he couldn't have communion with God. So it's. The fact that we had, that's why we pray in Jesus name, yeah. right? That's where that communion comes from. I know that's not the point that they're making here, but, <laughs> but it makes me even think, you know, we're going on all these rabbit trails, but it even makes me think of how we think about our lives in Christ. When we do righteous things, when we're, when we're living right, mm. it's really relative in a way. It's, it's our inherent righteousness or the imputed righteousness doesn't go away. That's right. Everything's flowing from it, but it may not look the same in everybody's life. Mm-hmm. But it's not because of them yeah. to begin with. That's right. And just even keeping the perspective, remembering that righteousness is an alien righteousness accounted to you. Yeah. Not your own inherent and not even your good works that you're doing in righteousness and living righteously. That doesn't add anything. That's just a reflection That's right. of Christ's work in you. And, and Yeah. And what a joy that we can do that. Yeah. Right? It, it's it's kind of part of our life of thankfulness that we can now live out some level of righteousness because covered, we're covered yeah. by the perfect, glorious righteousness of Christ. And when we fail, and we fail to live it out, we're still covered <laughs> yes. because it wasn't ours to get Amen. us in any way, so we're still accepted by him because of that righteousness. We were, we were uh, I was, I'm in a, in a book group, a book club, reading okay. group, whatever you want to call it, with uh, some other guys we were reading a book on, I don't remember the title now. I think it's called The Last Adam. It's a book on the the active obedience and righteousness okay, of, yeah. of Christ. And in the book, it remembered, uh, apparently, uh, J. Gresham Machen hmm. on his deathbed 
sent a telegraph or said, I don't, I don't remember now if he said it or, or it was in a telegraph he typed. I think it was the last things he said, actually, he said something like, you know, I am thankful for the active righteousness Mm. or the imputed active righteousness of Christ, or I'm so grateful for it. Something like like, that's the last thought that he had. And I thought, yes, may that be the last thought I have. Yep. Not my righteousness, but Christ, Paul in Philippians three, for instance. Like, I don't want mine by the law, but Christ's covering me. Yeah. I don't want Adam's original righteousness. No, no, no. I want Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we give you know he's blamed for the fall, but the righteousness isn't coming through him. He's the first Adam. The last Adam is the true righteousness that we need. So we oh. we should wrap up this yeah. this. Uh, part of the confession and we'll come back to it again it won't take us another eight months to get back to it (laughs) we'll try to get back to it a little sooner and a more regular rotation as we just think it just is enriching to go back to the confession and think about uh, the historic faith that believers have believed for hundreds of years and we still stand on the shoulders and continue to believe the truth that they lead us to from scripture all informed Uh, from God's Word. So we hope you enjoy this episode and that you'll join us again next time. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us, feedback at rottenstaff.org. We'd love to hear from you, and we will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rotten Staff Podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the hosts with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.